0: Your business profit or loss is the difference between your income and your expenses. Put simply, that's the amount that comes into your business and the amount that goes out. However, there are some businesses that seem to thrive and even gamify their numbers to ensure profits and cash flow are king and perhaps tax and other expenses are reduced or even nullified. My guest today, Amanda Thompson, is an award winning financial planner, author, iron woman, and the founder of Endurance Financial. Whether she's launching her own business, facing cancer battle, or qualifying three times for the Iron Man World Championships, Amanda has never been afraid of a challenge. Her business, Endurance Financial, is driven to help women overcome the gender bias that stands in the way of personal achievement, lessons learned after thriving in a typically male-dominated environment. Amanda draws on her 20 years of financial advising and life experiences to educate and mentor women through their own financial future. In her new book, Financially Fit Women, How to Be Your Own CFO, Confident, Focused and On Top of Your Money, Amanda draws upon decades of experience helping women to guide readers through common money problems and help them set up for financial success in business and in life. So a warm welcome to Amanda on the politics of everything. Thanks for having me. Podcasting remotely can be challenging but it doesn't have to be. Since day one of the politics of everything I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one solution to make the process quick and painless the way it should be for those of us who just love great content and want to get our ideas out into the world. If you know me I'm obsessed with quality in terms of my guests, my sound and everything about my show has to be great the first time. I'm time poor. It's so easy to use Zencastr. I'm not tech savvy and you don't need to be either. There's nothing to download. Just click on the link and off we go. Zencastr is all about making your podcasting experience easy. And with everything from local recording to automate post productions now in their toolkit, you don't have to leave your browser to get that episode done and done fast. I have a special offer for you and I hopefully you can experience what I have with Zencaster. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my VIP code, the politics of everything, all lowercase in one word, to get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. How good is that? I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. What did you want to be as a kid, Amanda? Did you want to be an accountant or something to do with numbers? What was your kind of childhood dream? And kind of tell us how that eventuated to to land you where you are today.
1: Uh, Oh, you know, um, I wanted to be a lawyer. Like many kids, I just followed in the footsteps of who was really important in my life. And my grandfather was my, I suppose, metronome. And he was a lawyer and overcame a lot of adversity to get there. And so as a kid, I just wanted to be him. Um, and then as I started to go to school and, and really figure out what my strengths were, numbers was just, I loved them. I am a nerd and I just loved challenging myself from the word go with maths and accounting and things like that. And so I, I always thought that I wanted to do something like that. And then my, um, my high school, which actually is in the book, said, no, 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 Amanda, we want you to be a doctor. <laughs> ah, there you go. So did you
0: guys see the career as advisor, did you? And they kind of like steered you in a certain certain kind of direction, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I actually sent my book to the careers advisor the other day and I got this funny email back saying I hope myself and the then principal weren't too stringent on what you wanted to be. And I felt like writing back, of course you were, but it's all turned out for the good now.
0: Absolutely. I love hearing where people have come from, where they've kind of ended up and, you know, whether it was the aptitude or just some, you know, chance event that led them to the career which they obviously have had success in. So getting to our topic today, what are some of the golden rules of business profit? And maybe can you unpack an example for us of how to sort of create that early on we know that particularly with small businesses you know I think you know one in five make it past sort of the five-year mark and you know obviously expenses come into that but profit and growth and all those pieces are really important what are some of the rules I guess that you either advise clients on or you've done in your own business over the years
1: Uh, yeah so profit in itself is an interesting term isn't it because it really is that bottom line figure that we see on our financial statements and one of the biggest or golden rules of profit to me is to know exactly what that profit represents and where it is. Too often we, we and or our accountants can do amazing things depending what the end result we want is. And so that profit line on a financial statement is not what true profit is about. So to me, profit is the cash that's left at the end of the day, like the true cash that's left at the end of the day and what you want to do with that. And so when I look at what the golden rules of business profit are, I look at what the most common mistakes people make are, and it is lack of planning. And that is lack of planning from a cash flow perspective, but also lack of planning from a personal perspective. in We jump into these businesses and we don't realise what it is that we truly need financially from this business to survive. And so then comes that whole option of robbing Peter to pay Paul.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of feast and famine thing too, right? I mean, I've run my own business for many years. I've also led a larger agency and I know all about the, sort of the numbers game. And I'm not great with numbers, but I've had to be because if you want to be in business, that's, that's the key, right? You can't just be great at your craft. And I think it's that peaks and troughs of activity, not knowing how to like, I guess, systemize it enough and I, like you say, robbing Peter to pay Paul, but I imagine sometimes people just pull out all the money and spend all the money and don't put money away for the various expenses, all the rainy day stuff which you might do in your personal finances sometimes in a business gets forgotten. Have you seen examples of that, for example?
1: Uh-huh. I see people that have uh, profits on their books, yeah, that um, there's not the exact amount of money. In the bank. So in other words, they've spent these profits some other way or that there's director's loans. It's the biggest thing that I see is let, you know, owing owing your business money at the end of the day. And so again, I'm really big on that cash is king or queen concept. And the biggest thing you should be looking at is your bank balance, as well as your personal bank balance. They should be very two very distinctly different things. Your business bank balance and your own bank balance are completely different.
0: Yeah. And I guess you see people that perhaps don't pay themselves or they pay themselves too much. Is that one of the common mistakes that you might see? Or what, sort of how does that pan out for people?
1: I really see people pay themselves too much especially when we're talking from a a female perspective but what I do see is people paying themselves a salary ticking that box thinking that they're paying themselves a salary but you know to wind back to how I started is that lack of personal cash flow planning and not understanding exactly how much they need so then they take money out of the business in other ways and so therefore they are really paying themselves more than they've originally set out to do so and you know the the, the figures of people pay, truly paying themselves what they're worth 95% of women in business do not pay themselves ample salary why I think it's a confidence thing okay. I, I think it's a confidence thing I think it's a confidence thing that our businesses are going to fail and the way we we've jumped into them and often it is that absolute fear of the lack of financial knowledge that goes mm. around
0: which is obviously why I've written this book and your book does focus on women specifically being financially fit is there a personal why for you in that why why this book and why now
1: uh, so for me i think you attract like people as you go along in life whether it's in business or personal and i was seeing more and more women in a similar situation or coming from a similar situation that i'd come from in terms of mm, being a single mum and running my own business or just not having that confidence, as I said, or the self-worth around what they can do and not knowing where to start. So I think for me in, you know, the 20 plus years that I've been doing this, please don't calculate my age too quickly. Age is experience though. I think it's a good thing. I'd own that if I was you. And I do, and I do. And because I learn every single day that I meet a new client. And so from 20 years of meeting people from all walks of life, what the common misconception that comes along is that financial advice is reserved for the wealthy. Mm. And that's not the case. And so... When you twist that and say, well, why do people need financial advice or why do they seek it? You'll see that it's often fear, fear that we're not going to look after our families and with the security of that, or fear that we're not going to have mu- as much money as we require in retirement. And so when you look at the driving force of seeking financial advice, there is not one single thing around those two motive- fear motivators that has anything to do with asset status or or your paycheck. And that's the reason I wrote the book is to make these things more accessible and affordable to everyone who is wanting to grow their their knowledge base.
0: Absolutely. And look, there's a lot in there. And I have spent the weekend going through the book and pulling out, I guess, some of the gems, which I think, you know, are really important. And even though I I feel like I'm quite financially savvy, I think we can always Learn more. Can you tell us how you've managed your own business growth and has that changed over the time as the business grew or evolved? Or some of the principles, are they the same whether you've been in business, you know, I guess from day one or, you know, 20 years later?
1: So for me, the reason I went into business for myself is where I was working didn't align to my heart really and the values and the morals that I wanted to follow in life. And then as I became a mother, I wanted to be able to lead by example, showing my children. And so my business evolved and then it it evolved again by the nature of, you know, suppose looking at more women in my, my business. And... For me, it's really difficult to grow my business in a way that sits with my values because I'm only one person. And then you've got to take this step back and go, okay, if I want to scale, which is a common word lots of people use.
0: (laughs) Yes. That's very sexy and fun, doesn't it?
1: (laughs) Yeah, but it's not. It's not. And so for me, to scale meant that I had to either outsource or provide different offerings. And so hence one of the the book is one and then running some courses at different price point is another for me because I want to, the reason my business exists and I do what I do is because I want to touch as many people as I can with the understanding of advice should be both accessible and affordable and everyone should be going down this path no matter what their age or financial status is and so for me to grow my business I had to try and recreate myself in lots of different ways and we've done that in the book by you can hear me talking to you as you read the pages yes <laughs> definitely
0: it definitely has a real personalized approach to it, which I think makes your book stand out rather than being more generic advice you you, know, you seem to sort of come from a place obviously of authority and experience which is really important so is there some companies you know that we know out there I'm thinking those big names like Apple and Google and all of that you know big recognized companies which we know try to avoid tax and I'm doing air quotes or minimize tax and that often seems really unfair particularly if you're a small business owner and you might be paying you know 30-40% of your income to the tax office, which which is what we're required to do. And, you know, these big companies, they often have tax havens or loopholes or, you know, ways in which they can create profit, like crazy profit and feel like they're not paying their fair share because obviously taxes exist. So the greater good can actually, you know, exist if you like. So are there ways that, you know, clients can maybe have a version of that that's legal and it's ethical but, you know, how can
1: we minimise tax? Because nobody really enjoys handing their money over to
0: the tax office.
1: Do you know, when you're telling that story, I thought, I do not have, as much as I've said, I've, there's not much I haven't seen, I haven't seen an apple or a um, come through my my doors to get advice. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> However, do you know, two quotes come to mind straight away for me. And the first one is, if it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. You know, so don't think that just because in one particular year someone's not paying tax. That could be fibbing to you too because they've got so many structures. So maybe just the major structure is not paying tax, but it has to come out somewhere along the line. And then that follows through to my second quote, which I absolutely love, and it's by Warren Buffett. And he says, you only know who's been swimming naked when the tide goes out.
0: I love it. Very good. I love Warren. He does have yeah. some good, good, good advice.
1: And so for me, I've seen... I've seen people try so hard to minimize tax that it comes back to bite them at the end of the day. And so in Australia, yes, there are ways to have companies offshore and things like that, but we are pretty good with our tax system and it will catch up with us somewhere along the line. If you are in a position of looking at minimising tax, I would suggest the first place to look is the structure of your business and whether Mm. you're a sole trader or a company or you have a trust sitting there or you utilize superannuation you know everyone's dreaded word because we think superannuation such this such an evil thing but it's not when it's planned out in terms of what's best for your business and what what goes into your hand and the least that we can do that goes to the government's a perfect opportunity and they do exist and i think for everyone as long as you're comfortable um you're going okay the other thing is if we're paying tax we're doing all right because we still end up with something in our hands exactly you you, you're not in negative land you're still walking
0: away with some money so you should probably see it as just part of part of the deal really when you have a business
1: Absolutely. And look, you know, there are structures, that structure and strategy is a whole another podcast. And, you know, I need to be really mindful that I can only give general advice. Oh, of course. And that's
0: the other thing, you know, we, yeah. we do need to say that on this show. And obviously in your book, you probably have lots of disclaimers in there too, that, you know, your individual situation will have to be assessed by someone before, you know, can take on any advice and say, you know, this is, this is the way I should move forward.
1: Yep. And and so the advice that I give to people if they're minimising tax is they have to be proactive, not reactive. And so that's where someone like a financial advisor working hand in hand with your accountant is really key because accountants, by the nature of what we do, work with retrospective numbers
0: absolutely no i get that and i think that's really important as well making sure that you have the right advisors set up around you and not just relying on generic advice or maybe just looking at what other people are doing that's obviously not always the right thing for you i think there's a lot of that out there where people kind of go but they're doing this or they're putting more into a trust or they've got a you know this self-managed super fund it doesn't mean it's the right thing for you is what i'm hearing you say
1: yep yeah. yep yeah, absolutely
0: yeah, how can a business owner become more financially fit if numbers are not their genius? And I say that from a very personal perspective. So, you know, I'm traditionally an arts graduate. I was a business journalist, but I was terrible with numbers. So that there you go, go figure. Economics was great in terms of reporting on it and writing about derivatives and things like that in my heyday, but I certainly didn't understand how to really run a business successfully or my own personal finances until I really had to do it and probably made quite a few mistakes along the way, are there one or two sort of, I guess, quick ideas which you think you could plant seeds for people to go, okay, these are the things you really must do before you consider anything more fancy?
1: Yeah, it's a little bit left of centre. So I would be writing a position description for yourself. And oh, we, do yeah. you have one
0: for you? Did you, did you do one I for do, yourself? Oh, you my know, goodness.
1: Everything That's... I tell people to do, I really do myself, yeah? Or I'll tell you I haven't done it, but you should do it. So I'm really transparent in what I say. And I, a position description allows you to understand every task within your business that you are undertaking. And what you tend to find is that you will spend time on things that are not income-generating or that you really could give to someone else to do now the perfect example is myself and social media I don't like it I don't like social media at all I have two teenage girls so that's automatic you know you can see why it upsets me social media used in the wrong ways yeah And But yet I'm a perfectionist, yeah? So I have Canva, I know how to use it and I will spend three hours doing one social media tile that someone else could do for probably half the hourly rate that I charge out and it's off and it's done. It doesn't give me, you know, heart palpitations because I need it to be perfect. So I outsource the creation of social media templates now for a fraction of the cost of what I charge myself out. Yep, that makes
0: sense, yep. I get I kind of get that that that's really yeah. yeah that's really important to know what you like and what you're good at and also yeah what's that costing you to actually do stuff that maybe is not in your wheelhouse as well. I often think that you know for me you know I've got a fat, fantastic VA who's with me now and I'm just not an overly systemized person. I can follow a system but I don't want to come up with a system. So if you know that, you kind of hire that weakness I guess and find someone who likes it and is good at it and it can actually help your business grow is what I've realized.
1: It does because I said Amber yourself is more so so what time what time you are getting back by utilizing a VA, what are you going to do with that time? So so a position description coupled with time management is the um, most amazing thing that a business owner could do. Now, we know that not all business owners have the surplus funds to go and hire someone necessarily straight away. But what you're doing is creating this business plan to go, yes, that's going to be my first investment to do this or outsource my bookkeeping, for example, if numbers aren't your game. However, if you outsource anything numbers related, you still need to have an understanding of what your numbers mean because because you will make decisions on your business based on your numbers.
0: That's right. And making sure that, yeah, you don't just sort of nod and tick and flick and say, oh, my, you know, my accountant's got that under control. Actually understanding and maybe even asking questions. You know, I think a lot of us who don't love the numbers or just think, oh, well, it's set and forget, they don't actually ask probing questions or how can I improve that profit level or how can I make some changes for next year you know I think that planning piece is is always ongoing it never really ends does it really
1: it doesn't and you've hit um, the nail on the head when you say ask questions so a lot of us will go to our professionals whoever they are and the professional we've, in, we've employed them because they are the master at that particular craft and they will say this is what you should do and you go okay because they've said it, but I, I use the analogy of if you go to the doctor with heart pains and the doctor says you're fine, see you later. Would you be happy walking away going, doctor said I was fine, and no understanding of what's going, why your heart feels funny? <laughs> and it's yeah, the same. No, you <laughs> thing but it's the same thing with your business. Is that ask your accountant, ask your financial planner, why though am I doing this, and why aren't I doing it this way? So remember, you're employing them, so they're giving you the service, and you're paying for it so you should be able to ask as many questions as you need to to understand
0: yeah absolutely I think that's you know great advice no matter where you are in your business journey to actually keep asking questions and expect that they're on top of I guess the latest rules and regulations and all those pieces as well which is really important in a business
1: absolutely absolutely so ask for help is, is the key ask for
0: help. <laughs> the funding of business can be a major challenge for many people and we've just we touched on that idea of scaling the very sexy idea of you know the big scale up you get you know make lots of money you exit and as a founder happy days or you can go on to a new business but obviously the ability to raise money through say venture capital has changed in the past few years there was tons of money during the pandemic that's obviously changed as the economic circumstances of the world have changed with higher inflation and so forth so what general advice have you given to anyone? who wants to scale and accept external funding to do so? Because that's a really different beast to a self-funded business.
1: It is and I'm going to kind of um, try and uh, unfortunately put a bit of a dark cloud over this this question, Amber, because as it sits today, women-led businesses in Australia Actually, the numbers have decreased, so we're back to I think less than two percent of venture capital funding is being sent to women-led. Yeah, absolutely,
0: so, and I do know that from clients of mine who've been on that on that
1: particular journey and how hard it is. It is, and then if we round, if we if we use round figures, what's even scarier is that women of color who lead businesses zero percent. Wow, I, w- I mean. It, it
0: doesn't surprise me, but it makes me feel like we've got a long way to go and yeah, yeah. and maybe that comes down to who's who are the funders, right? Like if they're white men mm-hmm. with money, then they probably want to invest in young white men.
1: It is. And I think that when we're looking at VC funding, there are more and more players coming into the market, which is great. So we do see that people realise there is, Opportunity there because of the amount of businesses that were created through COVID in the next few years that that scaling nature will be required so there's more and more businesses out there so the advice that I give to people really wanting to scale again is gain knowledge there are, get on get yourself on LinkedIn and join the group chats of there's so many different places out there for, for funding or VC funding and then to find your government grants is the best way to start you know no, I know.
0: that's interesting that's sort of the um it's not it doesn't sound as sexy as doing a capital raise but if there's money already in there then yeah that's a great idea I don't think a lot of people in this era would think about that I think before you know angel investing and things like that was
1: you know so popular I think people did look for things like government grants it not be careful of giving away your business to other people too I'm, I'm always mindful of that like angel investing versus a grant means that you can, you retain control of your business as well and the ownership of your business and you know um, one of the unknown grants is this is the increase of wanting to export in from Australia for services and products um, so if you're looking at you know for example my product of a course if i could find a way to make that universal to the world i could go and get a grant yeah right potentially potentially if i'm accepted yeah and so, um, i think it's really important to just get an understanding contact your local government to start with are there any local government grants there and and find the person that to, to speak to or or join Join a business club, a proper business club, not one. No, I know there's lots out there, but one that's really going to to chat away, and they're they're everywhere to chat and uplift each other, as opposed to you know have a need from each other.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Rather than being sort of transactional and everything you do in those environments. I think that's a great tip. And a lot of business owners are probably going to be going Googling now some business grants <laughs> or going to their local chamber of commerce and seeing what's out there as well. So how do we profit enough to be successful to then exit or sell a business? Because I think a lot of people, that might be their end goal. You know, you might love what you do, but one day you're going to retire and not every business has an exit plan. Some, some is just, you know, it'll just wind down and that'll be it. But what do you think are some of the the ways in which we know we're ready to actually make that exit
1: yeah um it's funny i'm not sure whether you've got to that chapter or not in my book amber but it's actually a whole chapter in my book of money when you sell your business yes yeah no i
0: have i have flicked to that bit and i'm sure there's lots in there um but is there sort of i guess just something for people to start to think about because i think it doesn't you have to be working towards this exit for a while it doesn't just happen
1: Absolutely. Look, and I I tell the story, the best way for me to tell the story is to give you the example of two brothers really quickly, two brothers, you know, brought up in exactly the same family, both business owners, but both have completely different wants and needs for their businesses. One wants to grow his business to a saleable asset. And the other one, and he's willing to sacrifice now for it, and the other one just wants to have a, a life for his family now and enjoy every single dollar from his business that he can get. So he doesn't really care about profit. He just wants to... Um, take as much money from his business now that he can yeah. so the reason I use those two examples if you've got to be and you've got to understand what your motivators are now first and foremost why are you in business and what you want what do you want your business to do for you and then then the step is, okay, so when you no longer want your business or you want to retire, what's the plan for your business? Do you want it to be saleable or will you just walk away because you're building up a nest egg outside of your business? And so that then goes to show how you would create that business plan going forward. So you've got to have an understanding first of what you want now, what life looks like for you when you're no longer in business and then you fill the gaps how you need to
0: and is there a time frame like do you think people should think about this from the day they set up the business or is it kind of as you're heading towards I guess either burnout retirement whatever it is like is it when's the (laughs) best time to think (laughs) about this
1: in Australia, we need to plan, and I'd be giving yourself a good five years personally, because of the restrictions of superannuation and the likes. If you're a certain age, you can't just go, I'm selling my business and it's all going into superannuation, for example. Yeah, there's you limits on that. Ahead. Yeah, you need to plan ahead and 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 you need to plan so that if you can accept money or you want to make it more profitable depending on what your nature is. So if your business needs to look more profitable to make it a saleable asset, then you want it to be a consistent profit builder. You want to be paying yourself a salary so that someone could potentially walk into your business and go, this business gives you a salary of X amount. So again, you need to plan ahead for that one.
0: Yeah. If we spoke again in a year's time, what would be your number one goal to have achieved and why? And I'm hoping you don't just say, have another book out there, but you might. I love no, this book. I no, think no. this has got a lot of legs <laughs> in it. Um, you might be not wanting to do that, but is there something particular? And sometimes for people, it's a personal goal. It is literally like running a marathon or you know, going overseas for six months or something like that. Is there something you can share with us?
1: Yeah. So I, my my goal, my next goal is to try and bring out so financially fit, so not necessarily women, into a corporate space to encourage corporates to say, you know what, we want to give this great important aspect of life to our employees because we know that a lot of the corporates, they'll do health and wellness. You know, Yes, we're we'll big we'll on
0: that at the moment.
1: Yeah, we'll give gym memberships and we've got the counselling service and, you know, we'll get people in for self-worth. But what about just some basic cash flow and financial planning without obviously the, the advice? So if we speak in a year and I've been able to create and find a way to, and encourage businesses to say, Amanda, come and run a workshop for my staff. I'll be a happy lady.
0: Absolutely. Well, we look forward to hearing how you go with that particular goal. As we wrap up our conversation today, what would be your final takeaway message for us on the politics of business profit?
1: Is to understand your own why, your very own why, and don't listen to anyone else and then work from that. That's great. Well, if you do want to
0: contact Amanda and, of course, book one of those fabulous workshops she can do for you or buy her book, there will be some details on the show notes. Until next time, take care. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed The Politics of Everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.